Welcome to Learn Buddhism. I'm Alan Pito. One of the most popular forms of Buddhism is one that you might not have heard about or are not practicing. It's called Pure Land Buddhism. Pure Land Buddhism is part of the Mahayana branch of Buddhism and is followed by a large number of practitioners in the East Asian countries of China, Taiwan, Japan, Korea, and Vietnam, and also in Central Asian countries such as Tibet. Now, the reason it's so popular is because it provides a very straightforward practice and it provides an avenue towards enlightenment for everyone, not just monastics. And for that reason, I believe it's something that Westerners should take a look at as far as one of the Buddhist traditions or practices that they want to follow. Now, looking at Pure Land Buddhism from a purely Western perspective, with all the beliefs and assumptions that we have regarding religion, this can look very much like other religions, like Christianity, but it's much more than that. It is rooted inside the Buddhist teachings and Buddhist traditions. So what you're getting here is Buddhism, even though on the surface, it may not look like that. So in this episode, I'm going to talk to you more about what the Pure Land is, what Pure Land Buddhism is, and what the practice is, and how this also incorporates as a whole into Buddhism. So what is a Pure Land? Well, they're also called Buddha fields. And this goes all the way back to the region where we have ancient India, where early Buddhism was. This was one of the different Dharma gates, if you will, different teachings that were slowly being talked about during that time. And part of this was these Buddha fields. So when you look at a Buddha, and we can look at Shakyamuni Buddha or Gautama Buddha, the Buddha of our era, he also could have been said to have had a pure land or a Buddha field around him. Vulture Peak, where he did a lot of his sermons, is considered in many ways a pure land. Because if you look at a Buddha, this fully awakened being, who is teaching others, who's liberating others. We're seeing during the time where Shakyamuni Buddha was alive, we had obviously more arhats. We had enlightened beings then, right? And this is because you have a living Buddha that's right there with you, that you are able to ask questions. You can hear these sermons. You have this field, if you will, around this teacher, this land, that's helping you attain enlightenment in a more expedient manner. Now, Shakyamuni Buddha, in his what we call his manifested form, is no longer here. He went to Parinirvana. He is no longer in a physical form anymore in our world, meaning that five aggregates that brings a sentient being together, so to speak. That will no longer happen for Shakyamuni Buddha. So we do have his teachings. We have his Sangha, the monastic communities all throughout the world, promoting his teachings and teaching us. But we don't have a living, manifested Buddha in our world. So that pure land that he had at Vulture Peak and around him no longer exists in this world. So obtaining enlightenment is more of a challenge without having a living Buddha, right? So these pure lands or Buddha fields, they're essentially these perfect environments for us, us sentient beings, to achieve enlightenment. And 
as I mentioned, we're seeing what we're calling this sort of like this age of decline or where the, the Dharma is still here. We can still read it. We can still get it from monastics, right? And so and they're also learning and practicing. But we're seeing fewer and fewer enlightened people. And this is predicted and this happens uh, inside Buddhism. When we look at Buddhist cosmology and periods of time and everything else, you have this very uh, ups and downs, if you will. So in, for example, our eon right now, our kapa right now, there's been already four Buddhas, right? And so we're at the fourth Buddha right now, Shakyamuni Buddha. We'll have a future one, Maitreya Buddha. So you have periods where the teachings are lost. So there's these, these perfect points, if you will, where you have a Buddha. And I'll say you would have a Buddha field around them, right? You have people being enlightened. But then that slowly declines to the point where in the future, will no longer have the teachings. They have to be rediscovered by another Buddha, and this new Buddha will also have a Buddha field around them. So you can kind of see this cycle, if you will, going, and this is very, very much part of Buddhist cosmology. Things come and go, right? And so when it comes to Pure Land Buddhism, it is a form of Buddhism, or what we sometimes call a Dharma gate inside Buddhism, because it's not always just a separate school, but it could also be a form of practice incorporated with others. So a Buddha, and this is going to be very much in the Mahayana tradition, of course, we look at three bodies of a Buddha, what makes up a Buddha, basically, right? So you have like a Dharma body, we have a manifested body, like I just talked about, the actual physical form. But there's also this reward body. And that's due to their vows, merits, intention, aspiration, right? This is really what's creating this Buddha field or pure land. And as I talked about with Shakyamuni Buddha, well, you know, we, we can see that almost like if you were to go to, I don't know, a, a very good discussion or lecture, you know, by a professor or teacher or a great speaker, sometimes they have that magnetism around them, right? Where you, you can understand their teachings or what they're trying to express or get out. And it's easier there, almost with that person, that person alive right in front of you teaching you, than it would be if you just read something. Or if you just tried to have these bullet points and try to incorporate whatever those bullet pointed high-level topics of what they're trying to teach you on your own. So having somebody there is very much helpful. Now, this reward body of a Buddha is very helpful for us because it's beyond just this mundane world of like this perfect speaker that you have at some conference, right? That's not Buddhism. A Buddha is a fully awakened teacher, and with that, they're able to help liberate us. They're not trying to sell us something. They're trying to liberate us from this cycle of rebirth, birth, and death. And with that, they can do that when they're there with us. And the reason I'm going into all this detail so far about you know these bodies of a Buddha and the Buddha fields, right, is because this is going to become very important when it comes to the current practice of Pure Land Buddhism. Now, with Pure Land Buddhism, what we have in our world right now, we're looking at where people, practitioners, are going to this after they die. So as I mentioned, you have this sort of this period of decline and where it's harder to become enlightened. 
in the Mahayana tradition, we are on the bodhisattva path, on the path of a bodhisattva toward full awakening and enlightenment as a Buddha. That's the end goal in Mahayana. In Theravada, the goal is to become an arhat. So in Mahayana, it's like we have to go to this full level to become a fully awakened being, a purely awakened being, a Buddha. And that's the bodhisattva or Mahayana path. And so because of that, we're not able to do that very easily here in our everyday mundane world, our Saha world, as we call it. And so because of that, we need help. We need another way to do it. And that's where Pure Land Buddhism really comes into being. So as I mentioned, we had Shakyamuni Buddha. And when he was alive, there was that Buddha field or that Pure Land around him. But what about now? We don't have a Buddha in our earth, our world right now. Now, are there Buddhas in our vast universe? Absolutely. Different dimensions? Absolutely. So our understanding of our existence, our world, our universe is basically very limited. And that's just really just where we're at in our existence right now. Yes, we have things like space telescopes and radio telescopes and different scientific measurements and stuff like that, but we're still struggling to understand the basics of our universe. We're, we're still trying to get there. And it could take us a very long time. So in Buddhism, they look at this universe as we're trying to understand it at one level, but they're like, that, that's, that's one thing. That's almost kind of like our mundane universe existence. We're, they're looking at a more fundamental thing. And that's where things like realms of rebirth and everything else come in, periods of time. So a lot more comes into the Buddhist understanding of our universe and our existence, which doesn't always line up exactly one-to-one -one with our ideal scientific understanding of it. Because here is trying to do something that helps liberate us from the cycle of rebirth. And so the cosmology there is different from what we're trying to figure out, like black holes and everything else like that, life and other planets. Here is totally different. Now, that gets really important when it comes to pure lands. So because we don't have a Buddha in our world right now, that doesn't mean we are without Buddhas. And I'm going to be specifically talking about the Pure Land version of this. So we have what's known as Pure Lands and almost like a celestial version of them. So not here on our earth, but we can go to. And this can sometimes just make people mind stretch and really, really confuse. Like, how does this exist? How can I prove it? And I think that's one thing that can be very challenging for Westerners. We want to prove this. We need to prove something 100% scientifically, and you're not going to get it here. You're not going to get this with Pure Land Buddhism. So what we're seeing with Pure Land Buddhism, we have these different compass directions, if you will, for different Pure Lands. We can go to even one in the middle or the center. And so we're looking at this, yeah, I guess, in, in a sort of like your compass directions, but it's beyond that. It's beyond our Earth, right? So the most popular pure land is going to be the one from Amitama Buddha. And so Amitama Buddha is, when we talk about pure land Buddhism, this is the one that most practitioners are following. His pure land is in what's called the West, and it's billions of Buddha lands to the West. And so we're talking about things, dimensions, other realms, existences. Yes, the big thing is, is not here 
so to speak, in our Saha world, our mundane existence. It's sort of like, and I like to give this analogy of the Pure Land. It is sort of like this perfect, expedient training ground for bodhisattvas. So Mahayana Buddhists are on the bodhisattva path. They want to become a Buddha. And that sounds like an unobtainable goal to Westerners, but it's very much part of the path because as a Mahayanist, you're looking, it's not these couple of decades I got on this planet right now. We're lucky to get maybe six, seven, eight decades here. A very short amount of time. They're looking at this constant cycle of rebirth, right? And so if you're on this bodhisattva path, you are able to eventually, just like Shakyamuni Buddha did, eventually become a Buddha. And so this is important because when we look at Shakyamuni Buddha, we see through his past life tales and the story of Shakyamuni, he went through countless cycles of rebirth. So this over and over and over again, he was on a bodhisattva path, but it was just going for a very long time until he was finally in a heavenly realm. And he decided when he was going to come down as a bodhisattva into his next rebirth inside this realm, the human realm, and that's where we see him as Siddhartha and this is where he became the Buddha. So we saw a very long path with Shakyamuni. What we're seeing with the, the Western Pure Land that we're talking about here is that you can go, there's billions of Buddha lands to the West, and in this perfect expedient training ground for bodhisattvas, you are now under the guidance and the training of a living Buddha, a celestial Buddha, and that is Amitama. And so he also has attendants, two principal attendants, and they're bodhisattvas. One of the most popular ones that most people will know about is going to be Guanyin in Chinese or Canon in Japanese. And so this is one of two bodhisattvas that are also there to help us. And so this is important because we are gaining guidance and training under these enlightened beings, right? And because of that, we are able to more easily obtain enlightenment. And the perfect portion of this is that it doesn't matter how long it's going to take you there. Like it may be a short amount of time or a very long amount of time. You're going to be inside his Western pure land. You are going to be gaining enlightenment because you are free of the distractions, the attachments and everything else of this different realms we got here, you know, you can't regress to the lower realms, which are not beneficial to the path. You get to Amitama Buddha's Western Pure Land, you're going to become a Buddha at some point. You're on that Bodhisattva path, right? It can take a long time, but you are no longer controlled, tempted, anything else by everything else we have in, in our realms of rebirth. And so that's what's so appealing about it. It's not like a heaven. And I think that's something where Westerners look at the pure land and go, oh, it's like a heaven. All these Buddhists, they're just trying to be, you know, after death, go to this heaven and they're just there for eternity. And that's not what it is about at all. So when you're going to here, again, it's this expedient training ground, right? You can also compare it to like a college or a university, right? Where if we went to a college or university right now, you know, you may live off campus, you have parties and all these different distractions. You got TV, right? Just imagine all of that's gone and it's just this 
on this mountaintop somewhere, right? It's perfectly situated away where all you can do here is obviously focus on what you're trying to obtain. You got professors, the best professors around that are helping you and they're giving you like that one-on-one attention. That's what you're getting here. It's something that allows you what you need to become enlightened. And that's what's very popular about it. It doesn't matter if you're a monastic or a lay person, if you were a great practitioner, not such a great practitioner, if you were rich or you were poor, it doesn't matter. Amitabha Buddha and his pure land welcoming to all that sincerely want to go to his pure land. So it's somewhere you go where you are on this path, but when you have obtain that level. For example, you're on this Bodhisattva pass, maybe you got up to a Bodhisattva level, right? And you're like, I'm ready to become a Buddha. Guess what? You're going back in the cycle of rebirth. So it's nothing like you're done, you're finished, right? No, you're going back into the cycle of rebirth, just like Shakyamuni did. And he's our most recent example. We have Maitreya coming up next. He's a Bodhisattva right now. He's going to be the next Buddha. So he's just waiting for the time. So what you're going to see is that you can become a Buddha when you're ready, when you've obtained that that level. And this is also a point where a lot of Westerners going, okay, there's a lot of people on this planet alone. How can everyone become a Buddha, right? Or even just Buddhists in general, or Pure Land Buddhists in general. How can all of those people become a Buddha, right? Well, that's very much limited to our just general understanding of our planet, and we're just believing we're it. And so we may have this notion, oh yeah, there's probably life out there in the universe, but it's probably pretty rare, right? In Buddhist cosmology, they're looking at billions of worlds, right? And it's very much that sentient life is all out there. When we talk about the human realm inside Buddhism as the realms of rebirth, we're looking at a human inside as us, you and me, homo sapiens, right? But the human realm is talking about beings, sentient beings that have a choice. You know, they're able to do wholesome or unwholesome karma, basically. They, they can control their actions. So what sentient beings are, vast and numerous. And so we're looking at an infinite number of worlds. There's also going to be different, probably dimensions and, and levels that we're not even seeing or even understanding. Right now, I saw recently where they were using all these radio telescopes to really kind of like essentially quote unquote photograph a black hole. And this has been kind of like that holy grail to kind of get what it actually looks like. We're, we're barely trying to understand things here. And what Buddhism is saying is there's a lot more going on here as it relates to this ultimate goal of liberation from the cycle of birth and death. And what we're understanding with our worlds and everything, very limited. Now, again, this could also be very much like, okay, but someone just created all this, right? Well, when we look at Shakyamuni Buddha, when he was doing his sermons, as a Buddha, they are aware of a lot more than we regular sentient beings will know. For example, we are so clouded with delusion and ignorance and not really understanding the truth, whereas a fully awakened being, a Buddha, can see and understand a lot more. This is where he gave us his past lives, where he, as a teaching moment, basically. But he was able to also understand a lot about our universe and our existence, and he was questioned about that. 
and people would want to were curious, right? So he understood this, but he didn't really teach us in the sermons. And the reason he didn't really go into detail, like all these different levels of how the universe and how it works and all this stuff, is because it wasn't central to what he was trying to do, which was liberate us from the cycle of birth and death. So because of that, we are looking at the Buddha not really going into detail about that at that time, but we're seeing that he understood there's a lot more here. He was trying to keep us on track. We're seeing with things like Pure Land Buddhism, like there's other avenues here that's built upon coming out of this long Buddhist tradition. So let me go a little bit deeper here because I'm going to give something in this example when we talk about practice that Westerners, I think, can get behind. So when we're looking at the practice of Pure Land Buddhists, it's one or two major things. The most major or uh, frequently seen and heard one is the recitation of Amitama Buddha's name. And so this is where, for example, in Chinese, we're going Namo Amitofo, or in Japanese, Namo Amida Butsu. And so this is just repeated constantly, 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 constantly. It could be very repetitious, very fast, or it could be very slow and deliberate and focused upon. And also this time, you may be also focusing on Amitama Buddha and his pure land, so there's a visualization here too. But when we're doing this, it's a very, and I, I really love this about this practice, when you're reciting the name of a Buddha, for example, Amitama Buddha, you are doing something that's wholesome. Your speech is wholesome. It's a Buddha's name, right? Your mind, your, your attention, your mindfulness, right, is focused on a Buddha, on a pure land. And so you're looking at all these wholesome qualities and everything about a Buddha, right? This is something that is meditation in in one aspect now the intention of the recitation is when it's done sincerely and so we have face vows and recitation in pure land buddhism when we are reciting the name of amitama buddha we're doing this sincerely because we want to be reborn after death inside amitama buddha's western pure land so this is when he created his pure land he's like you want to come here yeah, I, I'll, I will take you if you want to, you know, so if you have that, that vow, that face, you know, and, and you recite his name, like, yes, yes, I want to go. So that's where you see a lot of pure line Buddhists are doing this right up until the point of death, because they want to be guided by Amitama Buddha into his Western pure land or by his Bodhisattvas, bring them there. And so this recitation is for that, but it also has a little bit more than that going on. So what we're seeing was pure land Buddhism. It's not really another form of Buddhism. It's, as I mentioned earlier, the beginning of this episode, it is part of Mahayana branch of Buddhism, right? What we're seeing in all the countries, basically in East Asia, that are practicing and having pure land Buddhism inside there, it's not really separate of other schools, if we want to think about it that way, of Buddhism. We see it mostly in Japan, where Pure Land is its own separate institution or school there compared to Zen or the meditation school. Whereas you're seeing in most of the other East Asian countries, for example, China, Vietnam, Korea, Taiwan, right? They are all combining that, or it's another practice as part of that country's form of Buddhism. For example, in China, in Chinese Buddhism, you're seeing uh, uh, the meditation school 
combined with the Pure Land School. And what we're looking at is not necessarily schools, but traditions or Dharma gates, right? So these Dharma gates is these different pathways towards enlightenment. And so it's very much intermingled. So you're kind of doing meditation and you're also doing this other practice, Pure Land as well. And it's very complementary. The reason that's really interesting, at least to me, is because in these particular countries and traditions where it is, I don't want to say it's intermingled, but it's considered one other form of practice that's, that's done by laypersons like you and me, is that we're seeing that there's different levels of realization with Pure Land. And so this is not saying that every single practitioner of Pure Land Buddhism agrees with this or follows this, but it's something that is it's very popular as well. So at the most entry level or most basic level is that recitation of Amitabha Buddha going to be reborn in his pure land. This is the most common practice. You're going to look, I don't have a, an actual percentage, but if you want to say like 90% or whatever or higher, this is what everyone's doing because trying to become enlightened in this world is infinitely difficult. That Bodhisattva path, infinitely difficult. So being able to go to a pure land, this perfect training ground, this perfect school is where we want to go. Now, going higher up, we're looking at a, a middle level, if you will. And this is where you can have mindfulness of Amitabha Buddha recollection without forgetfulness or interruption. And you can see this with some very advanced Pure Land practitioners, especially monastics. They are able to do that where it is a form of meditative practice and very impressive uh, to get to that level. But then we also have this highest level. And this is sort of like the behind the door, under the sheets, you know, the, the revealing of that curtain, right? Where that the pure land is your own mind and body. And Amitabha Buddha is your own Dharma body. So this highest level realization is you don't have to go to Amitabha Buddha's Western pure land to become enlightened. You can do it yourself. You can become enlightened, just like Shakyamuni Buddha said, right? And when you do that, you realize that Amitama Buddha is your own Buddha nature. You're, there's a Buddha inside you. This is very big inside Mahayana Buddhism. So there is a Buddha inside you. We are all capable of becoming Buddhas. Shakyamuni Buddha said so. So we are all capable of doing that. So Amitama Buddha, no different from our own Buddha nature. And then our pure, this pure land is no different than your mind and body or even this world. So you can also think about that pure land if you realize your true natural state of nirvana, that's your pure land. So really there's sort of like this very much meditation school interpretation of pure land as well where this highest level is no different than your mind and body, right? And Amitabha Buddha is your own Buddha nature. And I think that's really interesting, right? So this is also very popular, this practice, as I mentioned, in a lot of East Asia. Now, the reason you have this here, right? Can we still use the meditation school? Like, quote, unquote, Zen? Yes, absolutely. We should be advancing and practicing and studying the sutras, uh, recitation, meditation, all of that. There's nothing stopping us from gain as high level as we can, even if we were going to Amitabha Buddha's Western Pure Land. But what we're getting here is almost like a two-pronged approach or attack on 
the cycle of rebirth. So we are trying with the meditation school or meditation practices to help us advance that way. We're also using Pure Land as almost another way to practice and to be mindful as well, but also as a failsafe. If you can become enlightened in this world, we have this other outcome here with Amitama Buddha's Western Pure Land. And so that is, is fascinating to me on its own right there. And it's also very appealing. So as Westerners, you might be, uh, you know, I don't want anything that's face-based. Uh, I, I want this pure scientific form of Buddhism. And, you know, that really doesn't exist. You know, sometimes Westerners look at Zen as being very much detached from rituals and, and, and everything else. And, and it's not, you know, when you actually look at what, Buddhists in East Asia practice, you're going to have all that inside there as well. Pure Land, this practice Amitama Buddha, you're going to find that in Zen, if you will, as well, the meditation school. So it's, it's a very complementary practice, especially in those East Asian countries that practice it that way, where you might find this in whatever tradition you're in right now, that they're probably practicing it this way as well. One of the best parts about practicing Pure Land Buddhism or this Dharmage is that you can do it anywhere. So you don't have to always go to a temple, although that's a very popular and very routine part of this practice, but you do this all the time. So as you're washing dishes, you see practitioners reciting, not metaphor. So they're just reciting when they're walking, you know, of course, being mindful of where they're walking and everything, but they're doing this as part of their practice in everyday life. Maybe a certain number of recitations they're doing a day, or they're doing it as much as possible. We see in Buddhist history, where you have monastics who are reciting Amitabha Buddha's name so much, it is just mind-boggling to me how many times they recite it in a day, but this is a form of not just their, their vow and their, their commitment to being reborn in Amitabha Buddha's pure land, but also their commitment, their vow, their faith to be on the bodhisattva path towards enlightenment, to, to helping all sentient beings. They want to get to full Buddhahood, but they are also getting this meditative aspect to it as well. So there are benefits in our world right now from this practice. So this is not separate from other Buddhist traditions and how they practice Buddhism. You can, of course, see a actual benefit, if you will, to this practice in our world right now. We are, in all these different traditions, we are trying to reduce the three fires or three poisons of greed, anger, and ignorance or delusion. And Pure Land Buddhism, this practice, also helps us do that when we are no longer focusing on unwholesome things, but on something wholesome like Amitama Buddha, the qualities of a Buddha, the pure land, this bodhisattva path, right? All of these things are helping us shape us so we can reduce those fires down. And that can have a tangible benefit in our world right now so that we are generating not just good merit, but creating wholesome karmic actions in our world. And that's what we want to do. So I hope you enjoyed this short introduction to Pure Land Buddhism. It is a fascinating and wonderful part of Buddhism that's actually practiced, as I mentioned at the beginning here, by most Buddhists. 
most Buddhists, uh, a large percentage of Buddhists in our world are in East Asia. And so part of that, they are also practicing Pure Land Buddhism. So this is something definitely for you to check out. I'm sure you're going to have some questions about this, so I'd like to hear back from you. You can definitely email me at my website, alanpito.com, or on social media. And you can also leave a, if you're on Spotify, you can leave a comment to this particular episode as well. And I look forward to talking with you in our next episode. Thank you.